Hello, everybody. Dr. Lonnie Stewart here from the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. Are you a physical therapy student about to start studying for the National Physical Therapy Examination? Or maybe you're a professor, a program director, or a clinical instructor who teaches DPT students preparing for the NPTE? Either way, we would recommend checking out our sponsor, NPTE Final Frontier, and the community they've built around preparing for and succeeding on the NPTE. That exam and the preparation that goes along with it can be long, tedious, difficult, and stress-inducing, but it doesn't have to be. NPTE Final Frontier has the tactics and resources to help address all of the usual barriers. They even have scholarships to help with NPTE study courses, FSBPT registration fees, and even research opportunities. And if that's not enough, they're even donating to the very first annual HET Podcast Scholarship to be awarded at the end of every year. Go to NPTEFF.com for all of the details and use code HET for 10% off all purchases. Links to both the NPTE Final Frontier and their scholarship options are available in the show notes. And now, let's get ready to learn. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. F. Scott Field, and I've got with us today a very special guest, current APTA president, Roger Herr. Roger, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about your academic journey and how it's led you to where you are today? Well, thank you for the opportunity to be here. And I would consider myself a non-traditional uh, academic journey, uh, both on when and where I entered the profession and then how my career evolved. So first I did enter the profession as a bachelor's educated PT during the time where programs were considering master's programs. So I came out with a BSPT from Temple University. And I knew I needed to continue my education. It was never a question in that. The question was where and, and how to do that. So I moved from Philadelphia where I did my undergraduate to New York. My big decision then was New York or DC because both were cities that offered me things, but New York offered more graduate school options. And I really wasn't sure what I wanted to focus on on my graduate education. So I ended up working at NYU Medical Center, which tuition was a, a fringe benefit at that time. And I graciously benefited by pursuing my master's in public administration. The reason I took that route at that point in time, that program was for clinicians, mostly physicians and nurses. I was one of few that was not a nurse or a physician that pursued a master's in public administration, specifically within healthcare. Now that program is mostly non-clinicians entering public administration in healthcare, but at that point, it was a great segue for me. It helped me realize in my career, I moved from the large medical center and then worked in a nursing home. And at that point, I was working with someone who was pursuing her geriatric clinical specialty. And so she was a clinical specialist and I was more of the operations and staffing, running and supporting the whole facility. Uh, and providing care also. So it really helped me understand what I was good at and what others are good at and how we help provide physical therapy to the entire facility, not just those that were on active care and helping managing the house or managing a population, which really helped me use my master's degree in managing data information. Another thing that was happening at that time is we were going through some regulatory reform, as we always are. And at that point, Nursing homes and home health were going to standardized data sets, the minimal data set and the RUGS methodology for payment was coming into for nursing homes. And there was this thing coming to home care called OASIS. 
And obviously this predates 2000. Uh, but uh, at that point, it was a big change. And I was excited to see how that would change home health because I was doing home health after school in the evenings and the afternoons. But it really launched my career in home health and becoming a supervisor, becoming involved in advocacy. And so that changed my career. Instead of pursuing doctoral studies that had always been in my lineup, I then pursued a specialty in OASIS certification, got involved in that because that was most relevant to my setting and understanding that standardized data set. I also worked on some pre-graduate work doing my GREs to look at graduate school when I moved to Seattle, considering either epidemiology or other population-based programs because I really saw my role in that. And then my career took another turn and I moved into a, a data company that did public comparison of the data in both home health, nursing home, and other post-acute cares. And then I got involved with the National Quality Forum and so that work really took my time and my day job was very exciting. And so I did not pursue the PhD in epidemiology and health services that I was looking at the Seattle area that I was in at the time, because I ended up moving uh, to the Northern California area to manage a large healthcare system. And then a health plan recruited me back on the East Coast. So I was really involved in public uh, and quality reporting involved with the National Quality Forum representing data there. So that was my career evolution and how the healthcare industry changed and how I saw opportunity to influence quality public reporting in my work there. And since then, I've done other work in quality, Lean Six Sigma, and other certificates that have advanced my career to the work I was doing day to day. So that's my non-traditional career and evolution. Going full circle, the organizations uh, that I was working with uh, combined, and I'm back to the home care organization I was at 20 years ago, and I'm overseeing home health in our New York City area, Queens and Long Island. But I'm the first vice president to be doing that that's not a nurse. Like APTA, that organization is over 100 years old. And so, you know, being an effective team member and bringing contemporary skills, our critical thinking skills as a therapist, um, in, in addition to our functional focus and awareness, uh, really helped create an interdisciplinary team. So that's been my academic journey in a non-traditional way and helping it fit my career and workspace. So thanks for the question. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, you're right in my wheelhouse there, right? I've, I've been in skilled nursing facilities, home health for many years uh, and, and geriatrics. So that's, you know, always been a specialty of mine. And now it makes a lot of sense now to see your evolution and to see, you know, for me, I was an English major, right? Turned physical therapist and it was a master's degree at the time. So a still pretty non-traditional route. And then, you know, just seeing opportunities and seeing ways for me, it was like, oh, okay, it looks like the profession's going to a DPT. I should probably pursue that. Uh, and then that ended up leading me to an EDD, which then eventually allowed me to teach full-time. So uh, it's, it's amazing to see people's journeys because I think the opportunities that come maybe don't always seem like something you would think about at first, but then when you get into it and you see your profession and the way things are going and those opportunities present themselves, it's just being in the ready state to be able to pounce on those opportunities when they come. You know, I'm not a, a huge believer in luck. I know it's a lot of hard work over many years that get you ready for those opportunities when they present themselves. So obviously it seems like you've been able to, to leverage those very well over the years. And, and that's kind of brought you now to the position you're at in, in the APTA as president. 
Tell us a little bit about that journey. When did that start? The how, the why? Tell us about uh, uh, your journey into be, becoming president. I will. I want to give you one detour before that. Before I pursued physical therapy, I was to become an educator. I thought special education and teaching the classroom was where I would enter and have a career. That was my plan. Um, however, when I was in the classroom and student teaching, there was a physical therapist who supported some of the, the students in the classroom. And this therapist went from academic to the nursing home. It was a college town. So that, that therapist did a variety of roles in a smaller community. And I just thought the opportunities of that, not envisioning that there's many other things one can do in education besides teaching. I just saw this PT as an opportunity. Uh, that's when I then transferred to Temple. Um, and then change my degree uh, to pursue physical therapy. And so that that's an early on change that didn't go yeah. as planned. But it, in my board service and opportunity to run for the board, I think my I've had several opportunities in my career. First is when I was working in New York City as a new graduate, I got involved in the district level. And that helped me understand how the New York chapter of APTA uh, being involved in district, both for community education, but really for the advocacy and the state advocacy level, um, got me involved. And then, as I said before, the home health advocacy with Oasis and the regulatory changes, I found my voice there. The first time I went to then CMS, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Service, back then it was called HICFA, the Healthcare Finance Administration. But as I date myself, the point was, I was the first person to go and advocate. And at the end of the day, they said there was one person that spoke to the consumer or the patient centered. Everyone else was talking about running their business. Um, so it found my voice in patient focused, patient centered uh, awareness. And that I tribute to my mentors uh, in my career, at, in my early part of my career, to keep patient centered in everything we do. Um, it's helped me in all venues uh, of my career. As I mentioned before, I also moved to the West Coast, and that's where I got involved um, in the chapter. I had been involved in home health as a treasurer at one point, uh, and then as the president of home health. That was a chance to advocate on a national level, and that was wonderful. Um, and that grew me in many ways. But there was actually a job I did not get during that time period. And the reason I didn't get that job is I had never been on a board or I had never worked with boards. So I actually first became involved in my homeowner's board just to understand what is a board? How does it work? And I was secretary there. And then I got involved in the home health section um, through my engagement there, both through advocacy and interest to serve the profession. And then when I moved to the Seattle area for 10 years, I got involved as the chief delegate. I had been the home health delegate when I was living in Seattle. I was no longer president of home health section and I was no longer the delegate. So I got involved in the chapter advocacy and that chief delegate at that point was on the board and I got very involved at the chapter board and helped me understand from my section experience, uh, the chapter experience, and then what my role was to serve nationally. Because at that point I worked for a data company and I got to go to pretty much two thirds of the states in this country through my work and see how different states uh, associations function, whether it was the home care association, a physical therapy association, a hospice association, but really understanding practice and organizations across the country. And that helped me uh, really get a national understanding that I used in my quality work. And that's what then made me think I was ready to run for the APTA board and bring a different set of experience, both from my PT experience, my board experience, but also my national quality perspectives 
made me feel ready to run and serve as APTA director. And I did serve two terms as director and one term as secretary, as I felt that was a culmination of my skills uh, serving on the board at that point. So that's been my board experience, but interwoven with my career and jobs that helped me motivate to engage and use and share. And that's what I love most is sharing from one setting to the next, from one job to the next, from one experience to the next. If we did it in nursing home, how can we do it in home health? If we did it here, how can we do it somewhere else? Or, or translate some of those things, whether it's at early in my career, falls practiced, whether it's safety, efficacy, other areas, or reimbursement strategies, or payment measurement, uh, functional measures, you know, understanding how all those work across settings. That's, as you can tell, what excites me and where I'm, I see opportunity to learn from each other. Yeah, you know, you bring up a huge point there, Roger, and it's really, you know, translating your skill sets. I think that's super important for anybody looking to to go into a leadership position. And doesn't matter what job you had, what what title you had, how can you translate those skill sets? And and I tell this to students even that are coming up in physical therapy. When you graduate, yeah, you can be a great physical therapist, but you learned a lot of skill sets coming up through PT school, prioritizing, uh, you know, time management teamwork, all of those things can then be translated into A, a physical therapy job, but B, other things much larger than that, you know? So it's just looking at the skill sets in a little bit different way. Like you said, translating them from one group to another. Um, I think that's super important. And we've been geeking out a lot on leadership at the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast this year. We don't really have an annual theme, but if we did so far this year, I think leadership is one of them we're trying to lean into. And I just think it's important for us to, to start helping the leaders of tomorrow, especially at a, at a school level, because I, I feel like those in PT school need to start stepping up and taking the charge to become leaders, even while they're in school. Because as we saw through the pandemic, uh, healthcare leadership, you know, was ill-prepared. Now, not to say anybody could be prepared for a pandemic, but I feel, feel like our leadership could have done a little bit better job of navigating those, those waves. I think we, you know, kind of tried to do the best we could, but I think it's important that we start grooming our leaders of the future. And so, you know, my next question is, what what are some characteristics that make a good leader in healthcare? If, if somebody wants to eventually become the APTA president, what are some characteristics that that you think really stand out in leaders? Well, I think for for myself, it's being able to understand a wider set than my own needs respect and utilize the resources that are out there, whether it's other leaders, other experts, be collaborative. What I learned in the large medical center is there are many experts out there, but we each have different perspectives um, and bringing those together um, to understand. So when we make a decision, we understand the impact on others. Not that everyone will agree because not everyone agrees on every decision, but we need to understand the impact of that. So that critical thinking, that creating a safe space for the conversation, um, pulling in those you need to hear from versus ignoring them, um, because that's better for the long haul to make sure people are engaged. Um, even when there's dissent, that is critical, uh, in my view, uh, because I think, uh, what makes a good leader for me is, you know, we may historically have looked to leaders as the, the person top down approach. And I learned early on that that does not work because people who are doing the work know the work best, but sometimes they don't know how to navigate the systems and structures and regulatory environment and the policy. And that's the part that I can help 
bring together and say, do you not understand that? Or do we need to change that? I find being able to translate people's information, understand where it fits, where it doesn't fit, what are the roadblocks? Um, I'm good at pulling out themes early in a conversation um, to identify that and making sure we hear from those we haven't heard um, because that's also important. You know, sometimes we get passionate about stuff. We, we trump the conversation, making sure it's well-rounded uh, in that. But also I think the underlying piece is I love this profession. I know in other parts of my work, I've had the opportunity to be in, involved with other boards that I chose not to pursue because I didn't have the passion there. And I didn't feel I could serve that work, whether it is a board role or a, a day job, if I didn't um, believe in it. And I am very fortunate to have that choice. Uh, and I realize that. So, but I take advantage of it where I can and put myself uh, in those opportunities. My day job is a mission-based organization. APTA is a mission-based organization. Um, and those themes resonate with me and uh, they're the right size organizations for me. I am not the person who wants to run my own one shop. I want to collaborate with others who are good at what they do. Um, but I'm also a, a bit of a hands-on in that I like to be involved in some of the decision-making as compared to working for a very large multinational organization that really connects resources. So I know I'm good in this middle-sized organization. So it's really knowing your strengths yeah. and when you're the right person for the job. So I, I say that because knowing yourself and when it's right for you and knowing your strengths is very important, not just uh, every president of APTA needs to serve what the organization needs then and work the board uh, and with the board and the staff at that point in time. But those are my uh, ways of working and the way I engage in this work. Yeah, so that's a perfect lead into our next question here. But I, there's a lot that you said there to take away. I think big messages there for leaders to come like, one, your North Star, right? Your passion, like what, what are you focused on? What are you driving towards? What are you passionate about? What's your higher calling? And I, I think a lot of leaders know to stay on that path and not deviate away when opportunities call. So not saying yes to everything, especially if it's going to pull you away from that North Star, you know? Um, I, I feel like you also kind of touched a little bit upon empathy, being able to hear others out and really feeling what they're going through, which goes into the inclusion part of things, making sure we hear from everybody, even if we don't necessarily agree, they've still got to have a place at the table and be, you know, inclusive. And, and I think we need to make sure that leaders are, are doing that and, and hearing all points of view. Um, and then last, but not least, you touched on self-awareness. So I think, you know, knowing yourself and knowing your strengths and, and bringing in people around you to supplement those and, and really attach the, the people that you need to, to boost up your weaknesses, maybe being able to do all that to me, really, it really shows the, the, the signs and the characteristics of a good leader. So, uh, again, this brings us to our next question. What do you think makes yourself stand out? What's unique or different about you, uh, from past APTA presidents? The way I express my passion at this point in time, because uh, my North Star is to leave this profession prepared for the future. Um, there's work we need to do, we each need to do individually, but is this profession association set up for the future? And that excites me. I want to get out of their way. Um, but what do we need to do to build the systems and structure for the next leaders to come in, um, to learn from the past, build upon the past, but not live in the past? Um, so that's where I actually get excited about, do we have the right infrastructure systems 
uh, and looking at with our bylaw changed and the member engagement groups, how are we providing member resources and member engagement? Uh, and is it logical to the contemporary members today? Uh, just as people are looking at what's the technology and resources people need for best practice today and for the future. Um, so I cannot predict the future. We've got our board responsibilities, our fiduciary responsibilities, but we've also spent work as a board looking at foresight and what are the constructs uh, and beliefs that we have that serve us well and what beliefs are holding us back. And whether that is us as a profession or us as individuals or the consumers or payers or others believe about physical therapy, looking at those and which ones we can influence, which ones we should hold on to and which ones we should evaluate and challenge those assumptions. And thankfully, uh, we've done some of that work. Now we're working with some of our components uh, to do some of that work also when it fits more of the component specialty area of practice. So that's where, again, connecting with the resource groups and the people who know the work best in that. And that's the same way we work within the boardroom also is using each person's perspectives. An example for me was uh, when I worked for a health plan, my language changed. I began to think of people as members, not patients, because actually, you know, with my payer lens, it made me realize you want people to stay with your health plan. So how do you keep that person with you over time, even while they're going in and out of different episodes of care and using different parts of the healthcare system, what's their experience like and how do we keep them supported for the long term with the short term interventions and ways of supporting them? And that is where we want to be with physical therapy and population health. And our hands on care and our direct care is the foundation of what we do and the majority of how all of us enter the profession and most of us do day to day. But the opportunities to influence that on payment, on regulatory, on education, on research, uh, and many other areas, and looking to those thought leaders to understand that so we can then begin to engage in that and understand how is that influencing our profession for the future. And now for a quick shout out to our newest sponsor, Varela Financial. If you're a physical therapist and you have student loan debt, you got to talk to these guys. What makes them unique is that they view financial planning like running hurdles on a track. And for PTs, the first hurdle many of us run into is student loan debt. Varela Financial will help you get over that hurdle. They not only take the time to explain to you which plans you individually qualify for and how those plans work, but they also take the time to show you what your individual case looks like mapped out within each option. So if you're looking for help on your student loan debt or any area of personal finances, we recommend working with them. I use Varela Financial personally, and they were able to help me lower my student loan repayment from about $1,800 a month down to about $135 per month simply by finding the right repayment plan that best fit me, my family, and our life goals. You can check them out at varelafinancial.com. Link is in the show notes if you need it for reference, and tell them the HET podcast crew sent you. And now back to the show. What are the limitations for a profession in the future? And where do we need to look at that? You know, there's been much discussion over the last two years about digital health. Uh, we cannot ignore digital health. What, what are the appropriate ways to use, engage, uh, and have that information to better outreach people that currently don't access care today? I see it as an opportunity. Um, and I know some are threatened by it, but we need to look at it because it's information that's out there and what comes next after digital health and being prepared for that. 
I love that. Yeah, you touched upon this a little bit here, but tell us a little bit about what you see as the major obstacles now facing the profession of physical therapy at present time, and and how are we going to try to look to overcome those? I, I think one obstacle is how do we use technology to enhance our practice? We've always struggled, like all other disciplines, all of us have struggled to put, translate research into practice. Uh, and that's not unique to physical therapy, but it impacts us. So adopting technology, uh, whether it's the latest research into practice is one piece, but then how do we adopt technology into our practice for monitoring people? Uh, whether it's simple things like a home program or it's more complex things in uh, analysis of movement or other activities that we can do to help support people in person and after, or potentially as a precursor to therapy. So I see digital health as a precursor and an aftercare resource to help support people beyond the direct interventions that we provide. But that means we need to look at what's a digitally enabled practitioner that can use that information. How do we access it? How do we do that appropriately with the patient agreements and the HIPAA and all the other things we need to take care of in this world? But that that's just one area. But then Another area is how do we influence populations? And I see people, our colleagues that are working in population health and, and helping monitor hundreds of people navigate the health system so they can access providers when they need them, when they don't know they need them or don't know that they're available or a resource for that. Um, so I see us influencing um, care in many other ways besides the direct care. And then obviously those that are working in creative models with direct-to-employer in providing on-site or with an employee population direct to the employer to save the time people need to leave their job, get a referral, go to therapy, et cetera, by working directly with the employer. So there's a lot of different innovative models out there, and it's figuring out those that want to try them on and go somewhere different. Um, because as we know, some of our long-term existing payment models are futile to be honest with you, uh, at the same point. So we need to look at how do we work and get paid differently for what we do in our critical thinking skills and hands-on care, helping people navigate, reduce hospitalization, navigate the health system, get them to the right resource and other providers when we're not the best provider versus them continue with treatment until they've exhausted it versus get them to the right place, the right provider, and be collaborative in that. And we're seeing that more and more that other providers trust us. We need to develop more of that collegial interprofessional practice, not just communication. And I think you're seeing that in some of the more innovative models that are out there uh, going on, but we're not going to get paid for it in a traditional way. So we need to look at that differently. So those are some things that are happening, but we need to constantly look at and testing those models, our challenges, and I love this about profession, we're very safe, efficacious profession. We don't like to try things till they're proven. Um, so with that, we've got to have a tolerance for trying things safely, but realize not everything may work um, and some things may fail and being okay with that. As long as we do not harm others and waste resources, but try them with the best intent and with the safety measures intact, and I know and see people doing that. So I know we can do it, but there, there are some of us that want to let others pursue that first. And I applaud you. Let, let's th let those innovators do that in our work and us figure out how to follow for those that like to follow. Yeah. I, uh, I kind of subscribe to the Mark Zuckerberg, uh, method of move fast and break stuff, you know, and 
try to fix it and apologize later. But I, I, you know, I think a lot of that comes with entrepreneurial mindset and PPS, a lot of my work with the APTA's private practice section stuff. So, you know, I, I think there are models out there, like you said, I mean, in my mind, physical therapists are primed for population health. We are a great practitioner to fit into that model. We just have to figure out how, right? We need to figure out how we're going to get paid for it too. Because like you said, I don't know that the traditional pay to play model we have in, in place is, is going to work for us long-term. So uh, now's the time. And if you're feeling like you uh, want to play the safe game and, and have been playing it for a long time, now may be a good time to start thinking a little bit more about taking risk and going out there and trying new models and finding new things that may work because uh, who knows, you may be that person that finds the model that works uh, well for, for that population health or for technology and, and for telehealth or whatever it may be. So there are some good folks out there pushing the needle. I would encourage as many as possible to be bold, be brave and try that as well. Uh, because we need that. Uh, we're going to need that. It's it's just already, you know, the writing's on the wall. We just need to pursue it. So if I could add to that. Yeah, please. Uh, so if you're interested in that type of work, find the right partners. If you're doing something uh, within a niche business or a practice area, that's one area you might do it as a solo practitioner. If you're trying to change a health system or other you might need to partner with a medium-sized organization with the resources, the analytics and the other resources to help advocate and the policy resources to have the data, to advocate, to analyze, to then find where the opportunities are and implement them and having, having the leverage and negotiation to do that. So for me, that's the, why I work in the medium-sized uh, organization, why I think it's medium or large, but in a larger national scale. It's considered a medium organization, but it's large within healthcare. But the point is to find the right place for you to use your skills and approach to be the right team member. I think that's part of um, my perspective is all of us are not the same. We all have different knowledge, experience, and education, but it's the right mix. When am I the detailed person that has that practice awareness and experience? When am I the person that takes back and looks at the big picture and provides guidance and oversight? And that's the beauty of a good team is you've got that mixture of perspectives to well round the work, whether you're changing payment policy practice or you're working in the boardroom or you're working in your day job. I love that takeaway. I mean, that is partnerships and leverage are two words there that just resonated with me that I, they have been for a long time now. I'm not the guy that knows everything. I don't claim to be. I'm okay with that. I left that at the door a long time ago. So that being said, I need to partner. I, I need to find the right folks. I need to find bigger systems that are doing things. I, I need to find ways to amplify the message, you know, and that's kind of where this podcast started from was just amplifying the message of people doing good things in the world of healthcare. And hopefully we can find ways to, to you know, find better practices for education, for students, for professors, for clinicians and practitioners. So, uh, you know, we'll just keep beating the drum and hopefully, uh, you know, eventually enough people will hear us and we'll, we'll, we'll get the, the right movements, uh, and the right people behind them, you know? So speaking of movements, tell us a little bit about your vision for the APTA now moving forward. So I think we touched on some of it earlier, but my vision is our, our profession is prepared for the future. Uh, and we can look to skills and tasks and practice like digital health and other areas uh, but those are things that are in the foreseeable five, three to five years. I think we need to look at population health, as we talked about earlier, and, and where are we 
effective in working in different organizations and those that are supporting people. I really think that is critical for us to be involved on, on the payer end, on the policy end, on the employer end, and the community end, and what that looks to people. Um, and and physical therapy practice is a cornerstone of that. But I think we need to look at the other areas people access or are influenced with their healthy lifestyles, activity, and where we can intervene and support them in that. And I think that's a lot of collaborative practice and education and research models that are out there. I also see that our profession being diverse internally and externally. Uh, when I say diverse, we look at diversity in many different perspectives, but understanding and embracing our diversity, it's, we can say we understand each other in those ways, but you know, what a pediatric and a geriatric and a private practitioner and a research and all the other 18 specialty areas we have understanding the strengths of each of those. And we're, we're all not the same, but we add different things to our profession. So building upon each other versus trying to make us all the same and understanding we have different parts of our society. We have more influence and impact than, than others. And where do we run with that and lead with that? Where do we bring that back and say, can we do that elsewhere? Our specialty areas are one example of that. But are we doing that within our profession to different cultures, different ethnicities, different perspectives, different lifestyles that people need throughout the continuum of life um, as we're seeing it? And, you know, we have more awareness on aging and aging well um, because of the demographics. But I, I hope we keep ahead of that and uh, look to the next, next population and needs. And always, as we do in the boardroom, is to always look at who's not being met. And is that an opportunity? And is that something we can help close the gap on? Obviously, as you mentioned before, we need to prioritize initiatives and work, but also looking at who who is left out and what's the impact of that? And is there some way to include them in that? Um, so those are the, the things of, of, of a framework that I hope we do in all of our work. Obviously, all of our practices and where we impact the profession, we can't do everything for everyone, but can we lead them to the next professional, whether it's within PT or interprofessional or other resource to help connect and support people? Then they'll remember us and rely on us and see us as essential, um, whether it's in care or other aspects of our collaboration. Yeah, I think one of the key points you touched on there is both internal and external. We've got to have a place at the table, right? We've got to be able to bring everybody that's needed to be included to the table. They all have to have a voice and that's all the different sections and all the different avenues of physical therapy. But then externally as well, we need to be speaking up and advocating and talking for ourselves and entering these, these boards and, and showing that, I mean, I have some interviews coming up with CEOs of, of hospital systems that are PTs, right? That can happen. That's a thing, right? We, we have the opportunity to do and be whatever we want. It's a great profession. And there's a lot of doom and gloom out there these days, and there doesn't have to be. It's literally what you make of it. So I love that about our profession. There's so many avenues to get involved and to really stake your claim. And, I, you know, I hope people will continue to do that uh, even outside of physical therapy. Because like you said, I, I know there's a lot of big partners out there. There's a lot of board positions. There's things that we can really bring a good perspective to. And so I hope people will continue to push for that and, and to do that. Well, Roger, As thank you. Know, you. Our mission uh, is to build a community. And so 
a community uh, has many different places, many different homes, many different places to be within that community. So whether it's in a district, whether it's in a section or an academy, whether it's in a chapter, whether it's nationally, whether it's in a subgroup of a subgroup, the point is to find your community um, that supports your needs and grow with that. And that may change over time. You know, what I started in New York with my district activity and then moving to national activity. But the point is find your community and your people. The challenge is we all don't meet at one table at one time. So that the concept of being at the table is actually leveraging your relationships, your knowledge of others and the different communities within our association, our profession, but also leveraging our, re our relationships with others um, and understanding what's happening there and what can we learn from each other and share. They see the value of us and we see the value of what they're doing and recognizing that. Um, but building that community is what keeps me engaged because I had different things over time, uh, as I think each member does. Um, and that concept of a table may be figurative, but at same point, what table are you at now and who do you need to meet next? And, and don't underestimate asking people for advice. I think there's a lot of friendly people out there that will give you advice and, and don't be afraid to ask for it. We're happy to help each other, but we're also sometimes very kind and don't like to tell people what to do. So sometimes you just need to nudge and say, Hey, what do you think? Could you do this podcast or other things to get people involved? I put that personal plea out there for us to mentor who we think could be an opportunity for the future, but also ask for support or ideas, see what happens. I love that. Uh, I think it's Seth Godin has a book out on tr tribes, right? Find your tribe. The only way you're going to do that is by putting yourself out there, getting involved, asking for mentorship, giving mentorship. It's pretty simple. And physical therapists, for the most part, do a really good job of that. We really do enjoy our profession. We care about people. That's why we got into it in the first place for the most part. So, I mean, we really do want to give back. We really do want to care. But like you said, sometimes you have to give that nudge too. You have to kind of put, put yourself out there and, and, you know, ask other people to put themselves out there too, uh, because we got a lot of great knowledge and skill sets to share. So finding your tribe, it, it takes a little work. You got to put yourself out there and, 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 you know, really get your finger on the pulse and find who's doing what in the area you want to do that you specialize in, that you're good at, that you can kind of, you know, show your skill sets off a little bit and help others. So I appreciate that takeaway for sure. Well, Roger, thank you so much for your time and for coming on today. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. We ask all of our guests this one final question. Uh, if you could change one aspect of higher education, whether it be DPT or otherwise, what aspect would you change and how would you change it? That's a really good question. I think APTA has done work on student literacy and being aware. And I can tell you, as I've seen through my different family members, what and how people choose to go to college and the financing of it is is a key impact on your life that you need to take into consideration. So I think there's good work there on the APTA resources. I think the clinical education is an area that educators have partnered with, but that that clinical education uh, and translating that, not just credential clinical ed instructors, but also the experiences we have. And is it all or none? Is there a transition in that? And how can we um, use that clinical education experience uh, in translating people into a practice. Uh, so I know there's a lot of work in there and we've got a collaborative on education on the APTA website if you want to learn what others are doing. But I think there are many different approaches to education, but our clinical education model has been pretty stable. 
but is it prepared for the future? And is it allowing different people to enter different practices and answering the question, are we generalists? Are we specialists? And which track do you want to choose? And how do you take that track? Maybe there isn't one way, but finding the key decisions for you to find the right track and right course for you um, in your professional journey. I, I think that's where we need to set people off because we're all going into different parts of the sea in, in our journey. And I think helping people identify those and finding the right decisions at the right time starts in your clinical education because it really charts your course of, is this a good career choice or am I changing direction based on that? So I, I think there's a lot of work to do on that. And that's the one area I'd help people navigate that journey. That would be my dream. Yeah. I mean, the number one most given answer on here is cost. So financial literacy and cost. And luckily, uh, I, I presented at ELC with Dr. Madeline Ratoza, who is working on financial literacy uh, in, in DPT programs. So we're trying to help that out a little bit. Um, and we're trying to do the right things on showing these students, you know, hey, here's how it works in the real world. Here's the financial implications of it. Uh, now, how do you make it work? If you really want to be in healthcare, you really want to be a PT, how, how can we navigate that? Uh, and then the clin ed piece, again, is part of the reason, again, this podcast got started, that big divide between the ivory tower of academia and then, you know, the clinical world and the real world and how things are working. And we're trying to speed the process up for getting research from clin ed or from academia to clin ed. Uh, and then how, you know, does the model of clin ed really work? Does it, what does it look like? You know, and uh, I think there are some, some good thoughts as to how we can push that along a little bit. So hopefully... Uh, like you said, the right people are in the right place doing the right things, and then we'll we'll get some uh, some forward progress on that. But uh, yeah, I, lo I love the answers and uh, the passion. And again, thank you so much for your time and for coming on. Where can people reach you or follow up if they just have uh, other questions or, or want to see what you're up to these days? Well, uh, my Twitter account at RAHPT is probably the easiest way for short conversations. And then um, I'm on Instagram and on Facebook, but I think uh, Twitter's probably easiest for quick convos. Yeah, PT loves Twitter. I don't know why. I don't know how we got into that, but uh, that's our thing. So we'll drop that in the show notes so people can reach out to you. Roger, thank you so much again. We appreciate your time. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, I hope that episode was entertaining as much as it was informational and educational. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our past episodes, we ask you to please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. And please share out the episodes to those who you feel may be able to benefit from them. We also urge you to follow us on all social media platforms at HET Podcast and let us know what topics or experts you would like to hear from in future episodes. And just as a reminder, none of the information on today's show should be considered medical advice. It's simply infotainment or edutainment to help educate our audience. For medical advice, we always advise you to reach out to your preferred medical professionals, and we'll see you on the next show.